It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Welcome to ParCast Crime Bites. We wanted to give our listeners some additional content to help them dive even deeper into the true crime world. Every week, in addition to your normal con artists episode, we're exploring the most fascinating true crime themes covered across the ParCast network. We've collected short clips from some of our most popular podcast originals to help us explore ideas like motivation, method, and madness, and show how interconnected the true crime world really is. You can find the original episodes for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. A list of episodes that we used will be posted in the episode description. Criminal law often reflects the outlook of society. As society's knowledge and values grow and change, so do our laws. For example, people's perspective on smoking has changed over time in the United States. In the 1960s, doctors, television hosts, and teenagers could be seen smoking cigarettes. But over time, we understood the detrimental health effects of tobacco products, and laws changed to reflect that knowledge. Age limits were imposed, warning labels were placed on packaging. Sometimes it takes watershed moments and social pressure to enact real change. The Secret Service grew exponentially after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, and counterterrorism laws and funding changed significantly after the 9-11 Twin Towers bombing. Today, we'll take you chronologically through three crimes that inspired change in society, laws, or policies. We'll start with ParCast original Not Guilty covering one of the most well-known criminal laws today, the Miranda Warning. We're all likely familiar with the Miranda Warning, thanks to portrayals of arrests on TV and in movies. We know that we have the right to remain silent. But suspects didn't earn that right until the 1966 Supreme Court case, Miranda versus Arizona. Ernesto Miranda was arrested in Arizona on March 13, 1963. He asked the officers why he was being arrested, but was given no answer. He was taken to the police station and interrogated for two hours about a sexual assault. Miranda confessed, went to trial, and was convicted. It looked like an open and shut case, 
but the legal battle was far from over. The violation of Miranda's rights began long before the courtroom and all of the protections offered there by the Sixth Amendment. Furthermore, the right to an attorney was not just limited to a suspect's time within the court system, but from the moment they stepped foot into a police station as a suspect. Justice Potter Stewart stepped in to question Flynn at this point. If a lawyer was to join a suspect so early in the process, specifically what could they inform this citizen? Flynn had an easy answer at the ready. A suspect had the right not to incriminate themselves, the right to say nothing at all, the right to be free from questioning by the police department, the right to ask to be represented adequately by counsel in court, and the right to have counsel furnished to them by the court if they could not afford one. With this statement, Flynn had done two momentous things. He had completely tied together the Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights when it came to the process of arrest and courtroom trial, and he had spoken out loud a set of phrases that would become commonplace in American culture very soon. Yet... No one knew that at the time. Instead, Flynn noticed the white light on his podium had been lit for a good while. He only had moments to wrap everything up. When Justice Hugo Black asked Flynn to clarify if the Constitution protected all Americans in all situations, Flynn might have had to suppress a smile. It was a perfect setup for his grand finale, circling everything back to civil rights and inequality. He told the justices, It certainly does protect the rich, the educated, and the strong. Those rich enough to hire counsel, those who are educated enough to know what their rights are, and those who are strong enough to withstand police interrogation and assert those rights. With that, the white light turned to red, and John Flynn rested his case. Over the next three days, a defense counsel of Arizona lawmen fought back against Flynn and Frank. Overall, the court transcripts would span to nearly 300 pages. But from the eye of history, a few words stand out from all the rest. Those spoken by Flynn in his initial argument regarding the right to remain silent, the right to an attorney, and the right to inform a suspect directly just what was at stake when they entered into legal battle with the United States police. Without knowing it, John Flynn had coined the Miranda rights. In that clip from Not Guilty, we heard the Supreme Court case of Ernesto Miranda, who argued that his confession to sexual assault was illegally obtained. Police didn't inform him of his right to an attorney or right against self-incriminating. The Supreme Court agreed and installed safeguards against future suspects incriminating themselves without knowledge of the law. Thus, Miranda rights, which would require police to inform a suspect of their rights before questioning, were born. Miranda versus Arizona established rights for a suspect, but our next landmark case in history put protection into place for victims. Coming up, 
will discuss how serial killer Otis Toole inspired the Missing Children's Assistance Act of 1983. Now back to the show. Criminal justice policy is ever-changing throughout history, reacting to our similarly ever-changing world. Though every crime is a tragedy that affects innocent victims, it sometimes takes a particularly brutal crime to enact change. That's the case in our next clip from Serial Killers. This episode covers the crimes of Otis Toole, who killed at least six people in the 1960s and 70s. Toole and one of his accomplices, Henry Lee Lucas, confessed to hundreds of murders, but many of them have not been confirmed. It's likely they were enticed into giving false confessions. One such confession came in 1983, when Toole confessed to the 1981 murder of six-year-old Adam Walsh. Adam had been kidnapped from the mall, and his severed head was found three weeks later. Otis told police he had buried the child's body in his mother's old backyard. The police dug up the yard, but never found any bones. They did find a pair of shorts and shoes similar to the ones Adam had been wearing the day he was abducted. It's important to note, DNA analysis did not exist at the time. They had no way to prove that the blood in the car belonged to Adam Walsh, so they couldn't verify Otis's story. Around the same time, Otis had confessed to 108 separate murders from around the country. As police started collecting the evidence in the Adam Walsh case, doubt fell on Otis through his accomplice, Henry Lee Lucas. In 1984, one year after Henry Lee Lucas had been imprisoned, detectives grew suspicious of Henry's confessions. They invented fictional murders to see if Henry would confess to them. He did. Henry's willingness to confess to murders that never actually existed was a major hint that he'd been claiming murders for notoriety and free fast food. A journalist eventually tracked Henry and Otis's movements across the country through pay slips, bank transactions, and work records. They claimed murders in Texas when they were actually working in Jacksonville. They claimed murders in Arizona when they were actually driving through Maryland. This journalist proved that most of Henry and Otis's confessions were demonstrably false. The journalist could not disprove Otis's claim to have killed Adam. However, doubt crept in concerning Otis's confession in the Adam Walsh case. Despite that doubt, John Walsh's renewed passion influenced Congress to pass the Missing Children's Assistance Act of 1983. This act established a national toll-free telephone tip line dedicated specifically to information about missing children. It also established the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The Adam Walsh Child Resource Center then merged with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And John Walsh began to serve on the organization's board of directors. As we heard in that clip from Serial Killers, the murder of Adam Walsh inspired his father, John Walsh, to advocate for massive changes in the way the country handles cases of missing children. In addition to the changes detailed in the clip, John also helped establish Code Adam, which regulates the actions employees of department stores, supermarkets, and shopping malls must take when a child goes missing. John also became the host of television series America's Most Wanted from 1988 to 2011. The series featured the stories of dangerous fugitives and established a tipster hotline in the hopes of garnering public attention and apprehending the suspect. 
the capture of over 1,200 fugitives has been attributed to the show. Since its inception, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has grown tremendously and in 2019 assisted 29,000 families of missing children. While the Ernesto Miranda and Adam Walsh cases inspired changes in criminal justice policy and laws, our next case caused big changes in the medical field. Our final clip from Unsolved Murders covers the Chicago Tylenol murders. In 1982, seven people in the Chicago metropolitan area died as a result of taking potassium cyanide-laced Tylenol capsules. The murders remain unsolved, and investigators have struggled to determine exactly how the Tylenol capsules were poisoned. The most agreed-upon method was that the killer had tampered with the bottles after purchasing them legally and taking them home. Although some have argued that the killer may have stolen the bottles, simply buying the bottles is a more straightforward theory. It creates a lot less suspicion and wouldn't risk the killer being caught shoplifting on camera. While either method would have had the same result, it seems more likely that the killer chose to buy the bottles normally. For a killer as methodical as this one, it's likely they didn't take any chances. From there, it's a simple matter of opening the bottles, cutting apart the capsules to empty out the medicine, and filling the empty capsules with poison. The open-edged capsules could be slightly melted to adhere them back together, and the tainted capsules were put back in the bottle, visibly indistinguishable from the untainted capsules. Back in 1982, Tylenol was only packaged with a simple lid and cotton to keep the capsules in place. There were no tamper-proof seals on the bottles at all. Acetaminophen, the drug that makes up Tylenol, was packaged only in gel capsule form rather than in pills. While the chalky pills might be harder for some people to swallow than the smooth gel, they are also much harder to tamper with. Working to prevent tragedy from striking again, Johnson & Johnson made changes to Tylenol's packaging as a direct result of the panic caused by the murders. This included the addition of foil seals, pill form medicine, and new gel capsules that were more resistant to tampering. They made it much harder for a copycat to try and recreate the killings somewhere else. That same year, a federal law was passed to make tampering a crime. And by 1989, all over-the-counter drugs were required to have tamper-proof packaging. In that clip, we learned how the Chicago Tylenol murders led to a widespread policy change. All pill bottles are now required to have tamper-proof packaging. In addition to the pharmaceutical changes, the government made it a federal crime to tamper with a product. The FDA also introduced the caplet, which was a solid tablet made in the shape of a capsule. But before the 1989 requirement, the Tylenol murders inspired hundreds of copycats, including two deaths in Washington, resulting from cyanide poisoning in Excedrin capsules. In today's Crime Bites, we examined three criminal cases that changed the scope of the law and public policy. In Not Guilty, Ernesto Miranda's lawyer argued the importance of informing a suspect of their rights. In Serial Killers, a false confession inspired a heartbroken father to push for changes in the law to protect missing children. 
And in unsolved murders, a string of Tylenol poisonings forced pharmaceutical companies to change the way they distribute their medications. Thanks for tuning into ParCast Crime Bites. We hope you enjoyed this episode on the crimes that changed society and policy. We'll be back next week with a new episode on Satanism. What kind of influence has Satanism had on crime and society? If you'd like to listen to the episodes we discussed today in full, simply search for our ParCast original shows, Not Guilty, Unsolved Murders, or Serial Killers on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. I'll see you next time.